Hey everyone, this episode is the second one from the Be Money podcast, and I am doing this kind of unexpectedly, but it's timely because it's the start of the new year, even though it's already February when I record this. Um, and even though I don't set up to make New Year's resolutions, I sort of found myself making one when I decided in December to quit my job. And I wanted to talk about um, what, uh, why I did it, and um, how it's going to affect my finances and what I'm going to do to make sure to maintain and improve my financial health. I'm also going to share tips for how to prepare for a job loss, whether it's your choice or not to leave your job. Our health is our wealth. I know that's trite. I know it's a common saying, but it really is in all aspects. So let's get into it. I had what a lot of people wish for in a job. I had generous PTO, excellent benefits, a flexible schedule, a living wage, and the opportunity to work in a hybrid environment. The commute was quick when I had to go into the office. I got monthly stipends for my phone and quarterly stipends for my home office and even a budget for professional development. And yet I was miserable. I had an abrasive, impatient gaslighting coworker and I lacked the foundation to do my job with confidence. So there were two things that were affecting my mental health. Um, but at the beginning, I thought I was doing okay because my 90-day review was pretty good, but I was never trained to do certain aspects of my job. Complaining to my manager didn't help. I was told to review training videos and to learn from those videos and to reach out with questions, but I don't learn that way. And it was difficult for me to be able to train myself on my own. Um, so that was, that was like the big thing right there. So when I first started making mistakes, I was able to fix them myself because I would go back and read policies and procedures. But then when my mistakes got bigger because I was given more responsibilities and they had to be fixed by other people, which ended up taking them away from the things that they needed to do. The gaslighting got worse, and the stress, got, the stress became even more unbearable. I began to feel isolated from the rest of my team, and every morning when I logged into my computer or walked into the office, I ended up feeling like throwing up, like nauseous. I just was having all these pains in my stomach, and it was hard to swallow. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest, and... I feel like it was like my anxiety just going into overdrive. Yale Medicine describes chronic stress as a, quote, consistent sense of feeling pressured and overwhelmed over a long period of time. Symptoms include aches and pains, insomnia or weakness, less socialization, and unfocused thinking. One of the problems that um, I had was the unfocused thinking, and I think that that was a combination of the stress and also not having a good foundation for doing my job well. The Journal of Future Science reports that chronic stress can cause changes to the brain structure. For example, the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for reasoning, problem solving, attention, and creativity, gets compromised. In your body, chronic stress can cause physical health problems such as inflammation, cardiovascular dysfunction, diabetes, and autoimmune disorders. And of course, most of us know that chronic stress leads to anxiety and depression. 
A lot of companies these days try to sell the idea of caring about individual employees. We've all heard that a lot of places say, hey, we're family here. Whether you're at a restaurant, you're in the tech sector, or you're just at a nine to five job as a receptionist. I don't know a single person who is happy with the place that they work for, whether it's a nonprofit, a corporation, or even the tech sector where people are always like, yeah, I have free food and huge salaries. There is a cost to having the kinds of jobs that expect you to live at the office. And also, can we agree that working at Twitter these days sucks? And then there's the big tech sector layoffs from Microsoft, Amazon, and Google that announced big layoffs uh, last year or earlier this year. And it's affecting employees even in Seattle where Microsoft and Amazon are based. I mean, Microsoft is based in Redmond, Washington, which is half an hour from Seattle, but you get what I'm saying. It's true that companies and state governments, you know, a lot of them offer your standard health insurance and some even offer mental health care coverage and employee assistance programs, EAPs. But not all work health plans or benefits include mental health coverage. In Washington, all health insurers have to offer mental health coverage as a benefit if they offer medical care. And even when you do have some kind of mental health coverage, it's hard sometimes to get the care that you need, and it's limited. Where I worked, there was a lot of talk about caring for employees. In fact, the mission statement posted all over the office states on the second line that employees are our greatest asset. But when it was obvious that I was flailing and needed support, I wasn't offered the help that I needed. And when I tried to get the help that I needed, I was sort of circled back and said that I should know this by now. And then when I would come back and say, but I have not been trained, I would be referred to the training videos. My supervisor told us at our first in-person office day, when everybody started going back to the office, that she would always be there for us and that she wanted us to succeed in our roles. She acknowledged also that the line between our personal lives and our work lives could sometimes get blurred if we were facing challenges in our personal lives and that her door was always open and that we could go to her and, and talk about something if we needed to. In spite of working at an organization that prides itself on inclusivity, diversity, and equity, there wasn't a lot of talk on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis about caring for the whole person. Even in our POC collective meetings, which we had once a month, I shared intimate details of my personal life in the hopes that somebody would reach out. But there was never any follow-up or any questions asked about how I was doing. Naturally, I felt even more isolated and I felt rejected. I stopped sharing and I stopped asking questions and I just checked out. And this was, even though we had all been trained as mental health first aid responders, and we were given training on how to help somebody at work or a neighbor, you know, people who we may not consider friends, 
um, intimate friends, but people who we didn't know very well so that we could learn to reach out to people that might be struggling with something. And it was hard for me. It's always hard for me anyway to ask for help. But by sharing something that was so intimate to me, I was hoping that somebody would just say, hey, how are you doing? You know, I remember what you said in the meeting and I just wanted to check in and see if you were okay, just like we had been trained to do. And it just didn't happen. Workplaces do need to do better. The Journal of Future Science ends by telling us that with work-related stress, quote, priority should be given to preventive interventions. Got it? Preventive interventions. With the purpose of creating and maintaining work conditions respectful of human physiological, emotional, and social needs. In other words, the work environment should stimulate growth and productivity while supporting each individual in their challenges. That didn't happen with me, and so I left. And anecdotally, I can tell you that that happens a lot. I'm too much of a cynic to believe that any company or employer actually cares about people. So what were my physical symptoms? In addition to what I mentioned before, the stomach aches and the feeling of nausea, my inflammation got worse. I had GI issues, headaches, back pain, a loss of appetite. I wanted to run from everyone and everything to protect myself. You've heard of fight or flight, right? The fight or flight syndrome. We carry that from our ancestors. When faced with something that is dangerous to our physical or mental well-being, we're either going to stay and fight to the death or we're going to run to protect ourselves. That's cortisol at work. And it flooded my body throughout the day and made me want to run and run and never look back. And that cortisol has now caused more inflammation in my body and in turn it's causing stress in my brain. So in order to protect myself from what I was going through, I felt like I didn't have a choice but to leave this job. During a doctor's appointment recently, I explained to my doctor that I had quit my job and I explained why. I asked my doctor why I felt so much distress in my gut. Like, why was so much of my pain and discomfort um, in my gut? Why was I having GI issues? And her response was that the gastrointestinal, or GI tract, is like your second brain. It runs off the same neurotransmitters as your brain. So think about the following phrases that you may have heard or you may have even said yourself. Trust your gut. I feel it in my gut. Gut instinct. Sick to my stomach. That is your gut speaking to you. Your brain will process things like in a literal way, but the feeling of dealing with that comes out of your gut. Okay? And for Gen Xers, chronic stress is a big deal. We're at that stage in our lives where our parents are getting older and need our help, and our kids are getting older and still need our help. We're like the middle child stuck between two generations. And in case you haven't heard it yet, another name for Gen Xers is the sandwich generation. An April 2021 article in Upworthy reports on an extensive study done by Penn State that shows that stress related to parenting our parents and parenting our children 
started afflicting Gen Xers about 10 years ago when we were in our early, early 40s. And that was um, 10 years from the article's publication date of 2021. Right now, I'm 52. I'm going to be 53 this month. And the oldest Gen Xers are about 56, so this totally makes sense. So how do we fix this? So the physical symptoms, um, and in turn the mental symptoms, can be relieved by what we hear all the time in the media, from your friends, from social media, and from your doctor or your healthcare provider, and that is exercise. Exercise helps us to keep our brains healthy. And I know it's hard to think of it that way because when you're working out, you're running or swimming or riding your bike, you're thinking, oh, my legs hurt or my arms hurt or my butt hurts. You're not thinking that your brain hurts. But when we exercise, <clears throat> the endorphins in our, brain, in our bodies flood the brain and that helps to alleviate pain, reduce stress, and help us feel really, really, really good. So what kind of physical activities release endorphins? Any kind of exercise, eating, which is good for me, getting a massage, and having sex. And the more you participate in these activities, the more you reduce your risk of neurodegenerative diseases and depression. So go out, have that massage, because you deserve it, even if it's just once a month. And have sex, have as much as you want, with a consenting person. Okay? So how does my body's health affect my financial health? If you're too unhealthy physically to do your job, let's say you are undergoing some kind of treatment or you've broken your leg and you can't work. In this country, if you're like a restaurant worker, um, you may not be eligible for disability insurance or health insurance. And so you're just kind of stuck um, hoping that if you do fall and break your leg that you do it during work so you can get some kind of compensation from labor and industries. But that's not going to help you survive while you heal, okay? And if you are su suffering from anxiety and depression, because you can't see that, it's really difficult, and there's a stigma attached to it, it's really difficult to go to your boss and say, I need to take a week off for my mental health. However, Anxiety and depression cause billions of dollars in losses each year. If employers were more aware of that, and if employers made sure that mental health coverage and assistance was available, their losses wouldn't be as great. In 2021, Forbes reported that employee absenteeism due to anxiety and depression cost companies between 17 and $44 billion in one year. That was in 2021, so a year after the pandemic started. We haven't even touched on what it's going to be like for people with long COVID or for people who are stressed or distressed or depressed because of what happened during COVID, during the pandemic, and what they lost. The individual cost of mental health challenges is huge, and to me, it's more important than what companies are losing. When you leave a job voluntarily or involuntarily, you lose income and you're going to lose your health insurance if you had any. If you were seeing a therapist with that insurance, you're going to lose that therapist. 
The only way you're going to be able to see that therapist is if you pay out of pocket or if you get another job or some kind of insurance that will allow you to see that same therapist. Since this country lacks a social safety net and doesn't take mental health seriously, losing a job is devastating in more ways than one. It's not, oh my God, what if I get into a car accident and I need my insurance? Or what happens if I can't pay my mortgage? There's the mental health aspect of also that you need to consider also. So how do we deal with this? <clears throat> On an individual level, um, I have to say that I am privileged and lucky because I have number one, a second income, and number two, I am able-bodied. I'm not at a complete loss. I'm a paid caregiver for my sister, so I still have some sort of income, and I do have health insurance through that work. Through the union, the caregiver's union, I have access to free coaching and free therapy. I was lucky enough to find a Latina therapist who is incredible, and I have a Latina coach. And this is all provided to me for free. So when I decided to lose, or not to lose, but to leave my job, I was taking a risk because it was going to affect my finances, but I knew that because I had a backup, I was going to be okay in terms of therapy and some kind of income. I wasn't going to be at a complete loss. For those who are not as fortunate, I've got some tips here for you. Um, and the first one is to apply for unemployment benefits and look into state and federal resources for food stamps and medical care. I know there's a lot of shame attached, shame and shaming attached to, to food stamps, but my thinking is that you pay taxes when you go to Target, when you pay your property taxes, and at the federal level. So you are paying into the system that provides funding for those food stamps. You're not taking anything away from anyone by applying for food stamps. Corporations are the biggest welfare recipients out there, some of which don't even pay taxes. I will link in the bio, or in the show notes, sorry, an article that shows that Amazon did not pay taxes in 2017 or 2018. They actually received refunds. Apply for food stamps if you need them. Utilize the resources that you're entitled to because you are entitled. Then, review your monthly budget, especially your spending, and see where and if you can cut back, especially on things like wants and things that you don't really need. Look for community resources for mental health access. You may run into waiting lists that are really long, but keep looking and see if you can pay out of pocket with a sliding scale at a community health center or online. And then if you need to, if you're able to uh, physically, try gig work or customer service jobs from home. It doesn't pay a lot, but if you limit yourself to a certain number of hours to protect your mental health and your physical health, you have to look into it to see if, if um, or you have to research it to see if it's going to be worth it for you. I always remind people that these jobs are temporary. Okay, if you sign up to do a customer service job and you're doing it for a week and you're like, this shit, this is really shitty, I don't want to do this, then you just quit. 
um, you know, and find something else. They're not meant to be forever jobs, but they can help you fill in any gaps if you need them. So here's what I'm doing to ensure my finances don't suffer as much. I'm reviewing my budget uh, almost weekly um, and even more if I'm able to uh, rather than monthly because my spending habits need to change right away. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to be paying for my groceries in cash because that's my second biggest expense after rent and I need to be able to control that. So I'm going to be using my uh, cash envelope for that. The other thing I'm doing is that I'm stopping any contributions right now to any of my savings or brokerage accounts. And I'm doing that until I can see what I have to work with. My hope is that I'll be able to still be able to contribute to those accounts, um, even a little bit. If I'm not able to do the full amount that I have been doing, I just want to see how much I can, I can do. I'm going to return to DoorDash and I have completed a profile on Rover so I can walk dogs. I love dogs, I love animals, so I'm happy to do that and also I'm going to be getting some exercise if I get any clients. I'm selling any leftover inventory from my eBay store and selling things around the house and hope to make about $200 a month. And remember, I'm in Seattle, so what I can get for some things is going to be different than somebody who's in a rural area. Um, and then if I need to, I'm going to dip into my emergency fund to pay for any emergencies that come up. I'm hoping that it's just for emergencies, but if I need it because I need to complete the rent or I need to buy groceries, then I'm going to do that. So here are some tips for exiting your job. If you find yourself with mental health or physical challenges and don't want to leave your job, find out if you're eligible for family medical leave. Speak to somebody in HR about options. In Washington State, you can apply for paid family and medical leave and ask your HR rep if this is available in your state. And the reason I'm starting out with this is because after I gave notice, a coworker said, hey, why don't you just take FMLA and, you know, get a little bit of money during that time, you know, go to your doctor, get your therapist, you know, your therapy, whatever you need. And if you still don't want to come back, then you can just quit right before the FMLA leaves. And honestly, it didn't even occur to me. It didn't occur to me to do that. And I'm really upset that I didn't think to do that because I would have taken advantage of that. I would have been eligible. Um, I confirmed with my doctor and my therapist that I would have been eligible. Ask how long you're going to have your medical, dental, and other benefits. Make that appointment, buy those glasses, or get those teeth cleaned before your benefits run out. Decide if you're going to roll over your retirement plan and if there are any fees to do so. I am going to be rolling over my retirement plan probably into a traditional IRA um, when I get my last paycheck or after I know I've gotten my last paycheck. Find out if you need to use up any FSA or HSA funds or if you can, can roll them over if you have to roll them over. I've never had either of those kinds of accounts so I can't advise you on that but do ask what needs to happen with those accounts. Get in one last EAP appointment if you can, or even the, for the first time, it doesn't matter. Take advantage of that. And then ask your HR rep if they offer any sort of job search assistance or if they will review your resume, at least up until the month um, in which your employment ends, just to see if they can offer some kind of guidance um, to help find another job 
or at least give you feedback on your resume. Next, ask if you need to reimburse your company for any supplies. Because I was employed for less than a year, I have to pay back the $500 stipend that I received to set up my home office. If you are really close to being there for a year, um, you may want to, you know, hold off. I don't know. It's up to you if you want to hold off on that. But um, if that makes a difference, then find out if you need to pay that back. And then finally, log into your company's payroll and benefits portal and make sure your address and all of your information are up to date so that you can make sure to get your last paycheck on time um, and that you get have access to your pay stub and also make sure that your address is correct so that you can get your W-2 for tax time next year. We can get through this difficult period. This all boils down to finding the right support for your needs. Mental health is huge and your physical health matters too. Without taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of your money. And we need money. It's not noble to not care about money. So if this is the impetus you need to create a budget, click on the link in the show notes to access my free resource library. And if you're interested in coaching because you are thinking of leaving your job and you want to know how to set it up, um, set up your budget, or if you are just looking for coaching because you want to get your finances in order, send me an email, DM me on Instagram. I'm always happy to hear from everybody. So thank you so much. This brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for joining me to talk about how your health intersects with your finances. I'm Deborah Johnson Miranda, and I'm the host of the Be Money podcast for Generation X. Don't forget, you are the boss of your money. Quien manda aquí, eres tú.